Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Okay. I'm sorry, Michael. Yeah. Pretty good. I like Get it. Better. <laughs> uh, dear listeners, you are listening to another episode of Everyone is Hot, the podcast where we normally talk about your favorite stealth symbol and the film that turns you on to them. I'm Shelley Brooks. And I'm Michael Stevens, and uh, I'm really excited about today's topic. Uh... I am as well. You may be wondering why we opened up with some um, half-hearted whistling. Or wholehearted <laughs> is... whistling. Wholehearted, half, uh, half successful, I guess is yeah. what I should say. Wholehearted, half successful Yes. Yes, and that is because uh, today we are doing another mini-sode. And this time, it is about the two film adaptations of a personal favorite of ours, West Side Story. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, <laughs> listeners, you may be aware that uh, if you're familiar with the musical West Side Story, uh, you might be aware that there are two film adaptations. The first uh, from 1961 that was uh, directed by Robert Weiss and uh, co-directed by the original um, choreographer from the show, uh, Jerome Robbins, director choreographer of the stage show. Uh, and then there was another uh, that was uh, done in 2021. Uh, this one was directed by Steven Spielberg with a very updated, not not very updated, but pretty a, updated. Yeah, not. I didn't want it to sound like updated. It was like set in the present day. It still oh, it yeah. keeps all the bones of the original show, but with some very interesting changes uh, in a screenplay by Tony Kushner. Um, so yeah, Michael, you we both have a bit of a history with uh, West Side Story. 
uh, we've talked, I think, before on the podcast about how uh, the 1961 version is your mom's favorite film, correct? Uh, yes. Uh, Gina Maria Stevens. She <laughs> fucking loves this movie. Um, it's her favorite one. Um, it's a movie I've watched a dozen times every time it's on. So mm-hmm. I have a, like like a boomer style relationship with with this movie. <laughs> Um, yes. What about you? Oh gosh, yeah, I have a long, long time relationship with uh, the stage show, with the movie. Um, I, you know, started listening to the original cast recording, which, you know, if anyone is not aware, um, the music in that is by Leonard Bernstein, and the lyrics are by Stephen Sondheim. So, you know, a great, great team uh, making the beautiful music for this show. Um, but yeah, I started listening to it at a very young age. I, I played Maria in high school, which I know is oh. problematic. Oh. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I was the only one training in opera at the time at my high school. So, <laughs> you know what? Um, yeah. You're forgiven. I was once in a production of the Mikado. So you're, oh, God. Yeah. you're, you're Listen, fine. We've all a non-professional theater uh, where there was some uh, <laughs> questionable casting. Um, but yeah, and I watched the the 1961 film a lot growing up, and was always a, a great fan of it. And and then the 2021 uh, version was one of the first movies I saw back in theaters, which was huge. And so yeah. I, that might part of my very emotional connection to to that version of it as well. Oh, that's right. This one came out during uh, one of the hell years, one of the many hell years yes. that we're enduring. Um, yes. Where- the cinematic landscape is mostly like CGI fuck fest. And uh, yeah, it was mostly CGI fuck fest. <laughs> yeah, where we inside with COVID for a long time. Um, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, movie oh, theaters God. are kind of just reopening. Uh, the 2021 film, I think, got, got pushed for quite a long time um, before it was released. I think it had been filmed like, you know, several years right. before it actually was able to come out because of COVID restrictions. Um, so theaters were kind of just reopening when it went finally That's released. Right. Yeah. And come to think of it, now I'm thinking back more to my relationship with West Side Story. I've seen like a bunch of live versions of it. Um, mm-hmm. Most recently, I saw the 2020 uh, revival, uh, which was pretty controversial. So it was fresh. Yeah, yeah, which my one. friend of mine actually worked on. And they, I think they ended up closing relatively early because yes, of COVID they did. as well. I, I remember yeah. being very tentative about uh, getting my tickets. Uh, there were also uh, like protests and stuff because of you know mm. things. There was a lot of stuff going on with that production, but um, yeah. it was you know it was fine. Um, yeah. yeah. So, but I, I was really excited about the remake until I <laughs> saw who they cast as Tony. Uh, one of my yes, many enemies. Out of way. <laughs> uh, so look, um, the reason we're talking about this is because Shelley posted some out-of-pocket shit about <laughs> how the remake is better than the original. And me being a boomer, I'm like, absolutely not. Disrespectful. Make America great again. Um, <laughs> you can't do any better than the, uh, the 1961 version. And so... Uh, <laughs> I watched the most recent version today, Mm -hmm. this morning, Um, Mm -hmm. and here I am, hat in hand, uh, humbly declaring uh, 
just how incorrect uh, I was. <laughs> um, cat's out of the bag. I, I, I agree with you, Shelly. Um, I think this is, I think the, the new one is much better. Um, like there are pros and cons to both. Sure. Um, but I'm curious to know, uh, what your, I guess, pros and cons would be for, for both. Yeah. So I think that first of all, it's fair to say that we both still love the 1961 version, uh, that, oh, without a doubt. Yeah. So and I so I think that definitely the pros to that version is that you do get a sort of accurate a more accurate picture I guess of, you know, what the stage show was like because you have the direct involvement of the the team. Um you know, you've got you've got Bernstein, you've got Sondheim, you've got Jerome Robbins who, mm-hmm. you know, was uh, you know, apparently I think a lot of the both the great things about the movie and also some of the cons about the movie are, I think, probably largely attributable to Jerome Robbins because um, he was, you know, famously a bit of a dictatorial sort of like egomaniac. Nice. Um, but but we do get to see his like original choreography in that movie, which I think is a huge plus. Um, you know, I think that, um, you know, Arthur Lorenz was obviously involved. He wrote the book um, for the stage show and was, you know, involved with, you know, the making of the film. He's another one that I have, you know, both a huge respect for, but also, you know, complicated feelings about because I think that he, I think he had complicated feelings towards his own work, especially as he got older, but he also tended, you know, he was a man with an ego and he, you know, I think wanted to control a lot of things. And I think that there was something very freeing in the 2021 version that, you know, Sondheim was the only one from the team who was still around and Sondheim was not... And Sondheim was not a great fan of the original film um, because he he talks a lot in his um, series, his uh, pair of books, Finishing the Hat, where he talks about like his craft and writing that he doesn't think that film adaptations of stage musicals are generally very good because they they were written for the stage and they were not written to be films. Right, right. He felt they were like too precious, that they were, you know, too afraid of straying too far from the source material, and that they just weren't structured in the way that you would naturally structure yeah. a movie musical. Yeah. And I think that the fact that he was the only one from the original team still around for the making of the second film, and you had people like Spielberg, and even though, you know, Kushner is, I, you know, most famous for his stage work, he also is an incredibly accomplished screenwriter. So you've got two people who just like fundamentally understand the the medium of yes. film and aren't tied to the stage that like they were able I think they were really liberated to make some changes that are you know maybe feel sacrilegious to to someone who is like really wedded to the stage version but I think work incredibly well for a film and yeah. for me like artistically felt very liberating because I mean I you know I've frequently kind of toyed around with like you know writing a little screenplay adaptation of a musical that I like but I've always been afraid about like you know would it be disrespectful to change things too drastically and there is no sense of that in the 2021 film yeah. like they change things drastically you have to you absolutely have to um it there you're dealing with a different audience that has different expectations based on the medium that they're paying to go see so like yeah I think this is uh, apparent in all kinds of adaptations, books to movies, uh, comic books to movies, uh, plays to movies, um, and especially 
musicals to movies. Um, mm-hmm. God, uh, this is a tangent, but you know that they split Wicked into two different movies. It's going to be so like fucking stupid. So stupid. It's, <laughs> it's fucking like <laughs> as if one was not enough. <laughs> we got two of these motherfuckers coming out. And I can't say this is anything other than like a cash grab. Like there's no way this could have been artistically motivated unless they are padding it so much. And that's uh, another thing that I think is interesting sometimes in the adaptations from a stage musical to a movie musical that like you don't get in, in musicals that are written like directly for the screen is that, I mean, time just functions differently. Like you have to like communicate information differently. The, The pacing of scenes is different. So, you know, I mean, listen, there are plenty of movie musical like adaptations that make choices that I I think were intended to make it work better on screen that that I don't think work. Like, for example, I thought the recent movie of Into the Woods was bad, even though Sondheim was directly involved. I thought it was a bad movie. I thought they made some ill-advised cuts to it. but yeah, but I mean, I think also part of the problem is that you just don't have a director of like Spielberg's ability on a movie like right. that, you know? Um, and and I'm not saying that like, you know, Sondheim's ideas about movie musicals are, you know, infallible. I mean, obviously he's a genius, but I mean, for example, he, <laughs> until West Side Story, his like favorite adaptation of his work was Tim Burton's Sweeney Todd, which I thought was awful. <laughs> so like Really? I hated it. Yeah. Well, not that you hated it. I oh, expected no. you to hate it. The fact right? that Stephen Sondheim. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, to be fair, the there there weren't many adaptations of his work. I mean, I guess that I mean you've got like Gypsy, but again, he just wrote the lyrics for that one. He didn't write the music. Um, but I mean, it's it's slim pickings when it comes to like God. his his musicals. Because I mean, what you've got like the a little night music from the seventies oh, yeah. with Elizabeth Taylor, which is a complete disaster and. I, I mean, yeah, so it's like not like he had much to choose from, but I do think that he yeah. appreciated that there were changes made to make it feel like a movie and they not just like out, a filmed stage version. They took out attend the like attend the Taylor Swift. They took out yeah. that part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They took out the, the judges, Joanna. Like, I mean, like, there were a lot of questionable choices, I thought. Like, and also, Bert, I just Tim don't like the Tim Burton aesthetic. <laughs> Tim I, I appreciate Tim Burton for what he is and what he do, but like <laughs> I, yeah, that that particular choice because that's my favorite. That's my favorite shit. Like, I know. Uh, I know. <laughs> but his reasoning for taking it out was like, I don't want like you're already attending the tale of Sweeney Todd. Like, so <laughs> it's like so I'm sad. sorry, my my guy. Do you not get musicals? Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we sing about what's happening. We sing about what's going to happen. We sing about what happened already. Right. Uh, you know, like. Right. <laughs> God. Yeah, no, not not great. And I, I think that like, yeah, that there there is, I think something that's great about the 2021 version of West Side Story is that like, even though they take a lot of liberties, they are ultimately like, very reverent towards the music. I mean, like, yeah. it's, it, it's so beautifully sung. And I think that they... I mean, they really, it, it's interesting, like, looking back on, like, the 61 version where, you know, you have someone like, you know, a Natalie Wood playing Maria, which, I mean, you know, obviously there's, like, the, you know, ethnicity issues around that. But, but I mean, also just the fact that, like, you know, she's not, she's not a singer. I mean, she was being dubbed by Marnie Nixon. I mean, she, she's a lovely 
you know, lovely actor, but I mean, she, they really made a point of getting people who are true, like triple threats for the characters in the 2021 version. And it meant, a, you know, Ansel, I know we can have problems with him. I do. He's think a he's, good dancer. He he was good. He was good. Yeah. I think he, he's he genuinely was... pretty good in the movie. Like whatever his like personal, <laughs> personal I... life, uh, issues are. <laughs> I do not like Ansel. I don't. I have beef with yeah. him. We oh, don't I hate get along. I think he sucks. I think he sucks so much. But I think he but I'll give, is. He's good. He's, he's not bad in the movie. Yeah. He's and then you have not like bad. really. Then you have really wonderful people like Ariana DeBose and like Mike Faced, who are, I mean, just just incredible. And like the supporting cast has pulled so much from Broadway with like you know Brian Darcy James playing Officer Krupke. I think it's beautiful that they they brought back Rita Moreno, that they changed the character of Doc so that she could play the role in a way that I found really beautiful. I thought that was maybe the most interesting interesting difference that they they had in the film was the way that yeah. they transformed the character of Doc. Um, I also think like I don't know. It, it's interesting that uh, Steven Spielberg was probably a kid around the time that was it? he was a kid when this movie came yeah. out. And so, um, I don't know. I, I think it's much easier to be a, a bit more objective about what was actually happening in that time regarding, um, you know, sociology and race relations. Um, yeah. I don't know. I, I don't, I mean, I don't know that there was actually like any, you know, beef between, uh, the, I guess they're Polish. Um, I, like, yeah, I, think I, I just, just see white people. Like, yeah, I think they're supposed to be a bit kind of like just, multiracial, like working class white people. Like I think Tony's okay. supposed to be Polish, but I think that it's it's kind of like everyone who had, you know, maybe not previously been in the fold of whiteness who had been folded in in recent years as there was right. an immigration of like yes. Latinx people, you know, that it's like, okay, I, now we got to make you guys white so that we can other these other people. I, I did get the sense that like whiteness in this uh, iteration of West Side Story was like a subscription, like a, a you know, a loose knit mm -hmm. group of like, okay, you're part of the club now, but you got to play by these rules. Yeah. Versus. They know it's kind it, of conditional, like. <laughs> yeah. It's, you know, much different from like, all right, they're Puerto Rican, fuck them, you know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, right. And I guess like in many different or in like modern interpretations of West Side Story, you do see that. Like I know in the revival, uh, the uh, Jets were a, a much, well, I guess the Sharks and the Jets were a much more mixed uh, group, mm -hmm. which I think to some points it does make sense. To other points, it's like this is right. too distracting that there are are now uh, black people with the white people and they're right. they've got beef with the black people uh, with the Latin with the Latinx black people. It, it was it was too much for me right. to think about. And I, I just, you know, I, I think you can do that, but maybe uh, get a director who understands uh, what race relations are actually. Um, yeah, I, don't I, mean, know, I didn't see that production but i i do think that eva von hova like doesn't understand america and he especially doesn't understand new york because i saw his production of angels in america and i was like this man has spent a lot of time in new york but it feels like he has never even seen a movie about new york based he on the, the way he, like, treated, treated this play um, but yeah i mean but yeah i do think that i mean i think 
even from the beginning, it was, I think that there was a very much a sense of like the conditionality of whiteness, like in, cause I mean, you know, originally the musical was supposed to be about like an, an Irish gang and a Jewish gang. Yes, yes, and, yes, yes. Yeah. And it wasn't until like later in the process that they changed it. Cause they're like, we, this is what the youths are really like. <laughs> and yeah. like. And I think, and all of the creators on it, I mean, they all had that experience of that sort of conditional whiteness cause they were all, you know, white Jewish men. Right. So, I mean, they had had the experience of like their, you know, parents' generation not having that same sort of access to whiteness that like they then had in their generation. So, yeah, I think that that's something because especially like in light of like seeing the Fablemans, like his like Spielberg's experience with like anti-Semitism in that movie. Like, right. I think, yeah, definitely. He probably had like a real insight into like what this actually felt like in the period yeah. for like a young person. And so that's why I think it's it's great and good that we got Steven Spielberg, someone who's actually had like got an experience of that time doing an updated version of this because he's, you know, thinking about things he's actually experienced versus, you know, mm-hmm. some, some young guy uh, who's not really experienced the time period um, right. that he's, you know, that he's adapting. Um David Lynch talks, I'm not going to talk too much about him, but he (laughs) does in his biography, he talks about, uh, you know, how like biopics from the, from now kind of Mm. are are shit (laughs) because, (laughs) you know, a a lot of people don't really know a lot of the directors don't really know how to capture the feeling of the time that they're trying to to actually capture. So I really appreciated that in this version uh that like you get a sense of like it it felt like photographs of of Mm -hmm. uh you know of the time and i feel like it's much easier sometimes it can be much easier to look back on the past and create it um if you've Mm -hmm. actually experienced versus uh looking at the present time and trying to capture it like you're Mm -hmm. not going to be quite as objective uh, because you right. don't know what comes after that. So I don't know. This is right. 1961 adapting 1950, whatever, yeah. versus 2021. Greater understanding right. of, you know, what's actually going on. Well, I mean, you know? speaking of that, I mean, it's like, you know, Spielberg and Kushner, I mean, have both experienced New York over the decades. Yes. And I, I think it's very interesting that, I mean, this film had, I think, maybe its premiere was at Lincoln Center and a big part of the film that Kushner added to it was the the destruction of housing on the Upper West Side for the creation of Lincoln Center. Yep. <laughs> that is like in the movie. So the people watching this in in beautiful Lincoln Center were seeing were being, you know, sort of like directly directly implicated in ways which i mean of course then raises the question of like how much are you really implicating if you're still having a premiere at lincoln center but like on your big budget movie but i just got to think that like you had to consider it i just got like chills and tingles uh with you saying that which means you like you're saying something very important uh that i want to fucking underline for anyone that listens to this podcast and loves watching movies like this is like uh I do feel like the past is being erased and like mm. his like real fucking history, like the important things that should get you fucking charged up and angry uh, mm. are just kind of getting uh, dropped from, uh, you know, the way that we remember the past, the way that we teach the past mm. to the next generation. So I do love, you know, when 
our fucking boys are like, <laughs> nope, this is the way it really went down. Right. Uh, and this is the way it's also kind of going down now, like gentrification. Yeah, it happened then, insane. and it's fucking yeah. happening now. And if you're right. watching this movie and going like, oh, that's kind of like what's happening now. Like, yes. Right. Yes. Because history yeah. repeats itself all the fucking time. And mm. part, it, it's kind of like, I think for like a lot of artists uh, of many disciplines, like it's, you get to a point in your career where it's like your responsibility to use mm. your, uh, your power mm -hmm. to help people remember, especially with, with movies and cinema, like mm -hmm. that's what the, I, I think the social good that they produce is, is helping us uh, not to forget even when, uh, all of our systems want us to. Um, but yeah. Yeah, and I think that, that the movie does a really good job of, yeah, of because I mean, it's so easy because West Side Story is so, so well known and it's like, you hear like, I feel pretty, like in commercials yeah. and shit. It's like, it's easy to sort of make a separation between like what's actually happening in the story and the sort of like cultural associations we all have with it. It's like everyone's heard the songs like America. They've heard the songs tonight, like whatever. And I think that this movie does a really good job of not treating it like a museum piece, not treating it like a piece of like cultural kitsch or yes. something, but, but making it feel immediate and like in, in so many small ways. I mean, there's the Lincoln center stuff. There's also the fact that, so like in the stage show, and in the um, 61 film, you know, I feel pretty happens within like the, the dress shop while they're yeah. working their small group of friends. And I, I think it's such a beautiful little touch that they reset it into a department store where Maria is like on the like nighttime cleaning crew. And so you see them surrounded by all of this like you know, expensive, all these expensive, beautiful goods. But you see the reality of her life is that, you know, she is this young woman who works really hard at night cleaning for other people and like it you don't get to like separate the reality of like what their lived experience would be with like oh i know that tune you know yeah uh god i absolutely loved that scene and that was probably the moment where i was like Ugh, i'm wrong <laughs> like this is this is so much better because that's when i started to look at the 1961 version of like as like There's no real attempt to like actually engage with the lived experiences of people of color in that time. Uh, mm -hmm. And we know this because there's white people playing Puerto Ricans. There's, you know, Greeks yeah. playing the Puerto Ricans. There's like not. A, um, but in this one, you know, I I loved the that. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Well, it's just, it is funny that even at the time they felt like they were making changes from the stage show that made it more, more politically yeah. aware, like, like changing the lyrics to America that America before, like on this, in the stage show, America feels kind of gross. Cause it's like an argument between Anita and this like other girl and the girl's like, I love Puerto Rico. And Anita's like, it sucks that everything's bad there. Like it's gross and you'll be poor. And then in the movie, they change it to like the women saying like, you know, I, I'm excited for the opportunities in America and the men saying like, yeah, but only you only really get access to those if you're white and like, yeah. you know, it's hard here and we want to go back home because we've been 
otherized and brutalized here. So they yeah. were making an attempt at the time. It, Progress. It didn't go <laughs> as far as it needed to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I, yeah. I was just gonna, like around this sort of like going back to the idea about not being as precious about the source material is that I, one thing that I really like on a sort of aesthetic level is that, you know, because of Jerome Robbins's involvement in it, I mean, he's been very strict about like, you know, in productions of the show, like requiring the original choreography and a lot of the way that it's shot in the 1961 version is made to showcase that choreography. In service, yeah. Yeah. And I love that, like, that's so not the case in the 2021 version. Cause like, for example, in the song Cool. Um, oh, I loved, oh. It's so kinetic and it like it's it's not worried about the dancing so much as just like physically depicting the struggle between it like I, and again they like redo it because like it's not Tony who sings cool in in the stage show or in the earlier movie but they make it you know a thing between Tony and Rift and like showing them like physically like having this sort of battle over like whether whether to be violent or not yeah yeah i oof I, I did love that scene and another moment where I was like, fuck, they really cast the right like Ansel, he can he can he can move. He can move. Yeah. Um I'll give him that. Uh I did really like that scene and I um you know, I'm as just like a regular person with with no training, no home training, watching this. I've I seen you did, dance in cats. <laughs> I see, but the many moons ago, another life. Uh, I loved how it's like, oh, this isn't quite as pristine as the original. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. You know, they're not in perfect straight lines. Um, yeah. It's very asymmetrical. Um, mm -hmm. I can also see the uh, performers like you know exert effort. It, it doesn't yeah. look quite as you know easy peasy as the original. And these are things that uh, I that I do like, um, even in choreography, and in uh, like even fucking fight choreography. When something looks, mm -hmm. you know, the when something yeah. looks the way it should feel, um, if that mm -hmm. makes any sense. Um, yeah, it feels more exciting when it seems like there's maybe an element of danger almost to it, or yes. like, or yeah. that something could go wrong. That you're like, oh, that it keeps you engaged. Ah, uh, um. So I have a question. Um, what were other moments of the film? If you were to pick like three moments of the film that made you go like, oh God, like so much, so much better. Um, or <laughs> moments uh, between that, uh, moments from the modern version that kind of hit a lot harder is probably the easiest way I can ask that. Yeah. Oh God, there are so many, but I, I feel like, I mean, this is, it makes the rounds on, on Twitter a lot and, and for good reason, because, um, so, you know, Spielberg famously doesn't like storyboard his, his scenes. Like, I mean, he famously just kind of like, almost like decides like when he's on set. And obviously this is a thing that you can do if you are able to command a budget like Spielberg, because like you've got all the resources available that you need That's on wild. set. Like, <laughs> and it's crazy. I mean, the, the thing is, yeah, he's a genius. Like, <laughs> um, but so it, makes the rounds a lot on on twitter this scene when they're going into the dance of the gym and it has that tracking shot going through the hallway with um like anita and maria and all. oh yeah stuff. that shit is yeah and then it goes into this like insane 
crane shot and then it like comes back down and it like snakes through the dancers i literally i i think that there is i think i've seen that there's like a behind the scenes thing that shows how they they mapped out that shot but watching it i literally cannot figure out how they did it like because usually when you're watching a film you could go like okay i can see it like they probably had some like dolly tracks here and then they like probably like maybe there was some sort of like they craned up here or whatever i don't know how they did it i don't know how they choreographed the movement between the camera and the dancers like it makes no sense that's so hard that sounds so (laughs) that's that oh that must have been a really fun day Uh, Um, and and a nightmare exhausting day and like difficult day especially because you have so many young actors who had how many times do they have to fucking do that like yeah as they're doing this like intense dancing and it's like, I mean, I think about like Rachel Zegler who plays Maria, who was like 18, had never done a movie. And like, just imagine coming onto like a Spielberg set with this like complicated camera choreography. And it's like, all right, you're the lead. <laughs> Off <Yeah>. to the races. <laughs> like, and so I, I think it really can't be overstated. Like the, the incredible visual skill of Spielberg but also just like the beautiful cinematography by um Janusz Kaminski um I mean this movie is just absolutely gorgeous to look at and I I love that like in the recent years as he's like worked with Kaminski he's like had this interesting element in some of his films of these kind of like um like light flares that happen a lot that I find so beautiful um there's that there's the scene in um in the apartment where Anita is like behind a sort of like sheer piece of fabric and like kisses Bernardo through it. That is oh so my God. Like, oh, <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. And really, and then, like, I like that Bernardo gets really humanized in this movie in a way that like he, he just is sort of underwritten in the stage show and into the 61 movie. And he feels, he feels so much more fleshed out in this one. Yeah. And it's not even that they changed the writing of him that much, but it's, it's genuinely just because, it's shot so beautifully and you, the, the way that the camera treats him so lovingly is yeah. he's like yeah. a real human being versus an angry guy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, like I love George Chakiris who plays him in the 61 version, but I mean, yeah. but he really is kind of required to play him kind of just one note, angry guy, you know? Yeah. Oof. Yeah. Now I, I, oof, God. Um, I think the ending, uh, where, uh, I thought where Maria gets the gun and uh, God, she's about to, uh, I-, I thought yeah. she had pulled the trigger on her boy. And I was like, Oh God, she's really mad. They changed. They made a big change, big fucking change. <laughs> um, but I rewound and that's not what happened. Um, it's just, I could hear the, there's, it's a very uh, pretty like silent scene. Um, like you, I don't know. I I really appreciated the the sound design, I guess. Yeah. And like I could hear the gun and how heavy it was. Yeah. And uh you know, I, I it drove the sense of how awful uh the moment was. Uh mm-hmm. god. Yeah. I yeah. I loved that scene a lot. Um mm-hmm. And then I guess moments that made me go like, "Oh, this is better than the original. Um, the scene where, oh God, Anita is, uh, so, mm. so her man's just been killed 
and mm-hmm. she goes into docks to confront the the jets on Maria's behalf, and she's mm-hmm. looking to speak with Tony. And I got the sense of like I felt real genuine danger, like fear yeah. for yeah. Anita in a way that I had not felt in previous versions. I feel like there's a tendency to underplay that scene as like, oh, these boys are just being super disrespectful. Um, yeah. And then I've a seen lot of, like pushing her from person to person, her being like, oh, oh, yeah, they like ruffle with her dress and stuff where it's yeah. like the way the the Montagues, you know, fuck with the nurse, yeah. you know, right. But and then I've seen other versions where they kind of overcorrect and yeah. it's like. Yeah, more it's more than you want, but like, yeah, I I got the feeling of like genuine fear and the the women be uh kind of you know fearing for for her and they're you know like that scene that really like got me in my chest in a way that like yeah. I you know had not been gotten. Um, I I thought it was very well acted and um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think on a similar note, I mean, I I love Russ Tamblin in the 61 film as uh, Riff. I think he's, you know, he's wonderful in it. But there are a few things that they add for Riff, um, played by Mike Faced in the 21 version, that give him so this intensity of anger and feelings of like nihilism and hopelessness that like you you know from the beginning like this kid is fucked like he this kid's not making it out alive and i think that that makes his relationship with tony so so moving and so painful and and that he also feels like he's not just some like goofy guy who kind of gets in over his head but you're like this is a kid who's got no fucking opportunities and now he and now he's determined to like burn the world down around him and he's gonna get himself killed Ooh, I'd say the third element of all things is I, I, I absolutely agree with that. And now it's making me think like, oh, I, I kind of like I de- like connected to the Jets in a way that I hadn't before, because mm. uh, most of the time when I watch a movie that's about, uh, you know, that has racism, I'm usually like I'm on the side of the people of color. That's just my natural right. response. And I don't sure. think it should be um, because conflicts are. <laughs> Not necessarily wrong, but I think, you know, there is a, in a good movie, you should be able to empathize with the protagonists and the antagonists. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a really great movie shouldn't have any agonists. Uh, They're just, you know, people (laughs) living in a world and it's making them do things, you know, like the wire or some shit. Um, Mm. But I really got the sense of like, ah, fuck, like this is the only way for these boys to be. They are. Mm -hmm they're fucked and that made officer krupke like hit so much harder for me that that number just because it's like oh "Oh, yeah they're trapped they're fucking trapped (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah. and that it's yeah that you know it's that they they are they're wrong to be to you know treat the puerto rican people in the movie the way that they treat them but also that it that is a constant that is a purposeful thing of like that people in power they don't they don't give a shit about any of these people so then it's much more convenient for them to fight amongst themselves than it is for them to realize like that they actually have much more of their interests aligned yes Um, yes the whole (laughs) movie i was like what if they do something crazy 
What if they do something crazy? Like, I can't say what I'm about to say because I feel like we might get... I was like, there are people that could be killed in this movie if (laughs) these two groups just collaborate. And (laughs) I could drive myself yeah. insane <laughs> yeah yeah i think this movie really does a great job of underlining like how how little the difference in what their their needs and their interests are and how how easily they could be aligned and like this how how dumb it is that they're that they have these like cultural divisions instead of recognizing that like they're both getting fucked by like uh, their buildings getting torn down <laughs> like, i should i should say that while i had been watching uh west side story this morning i had also been doom scrolling and watching lots of uh stokely carmichael uh videos <laughs> so <laughs> i've been thinking about nonviolence <laughs> and <Yeah>. like <laughs> uh, the other utter pointlessness of it <laughs> um in a world that uh doesn't believe in the rights of uh, a whole ass class of people but uh that did kind of uh, color how I was watching this movie. I was just like, yo, Officer Krupke just needs to get fucking corrupt. We need to corrupt the shit out of this motherfucker. Um, right. But, God, if I open that can of worms, I feel like we're going to talk about West Side Story again. We should. Um, I think we have to because we are definitely running out of time. But, God, yeah. there's so much to say about about this movie. About I mean, we barely got to touch on the individual actors. And, I mean, the cast is incredible across the board and they are all so hot <laughs> so we will talk about this again hopefully one day we have not a lot of time but shelly i did have one quick rapid fire question for you before mm-hmm. we wrap up uh-huh. <laughs> so similar to uh how steven spielberg directed a beloved untouchable classic that most people would say you can't remake that uh what director and classic film would you uh, pair together for a modern remake? Oh, oh, yeah! Oh. It's a fucked up question. It is. Fuck you, Michael. It's that a so fucked bad. up question. Wait, okay. Do you have one in mind so I can think for a second? Well, oh, god, um, that's so hard. So I do not have one. I have an example, and then I can think a little bit more about mine. Um, okay. But there, it, um, you know, I talked about it. I mentioned the Dave, uh, the Lynch Oz documentary, um, and that documentary centers on uh, David Lynch's relationship with a movie like uh, with, with the Wizard of Oz. And so, I, you know, the whole time watching that, I'm like, well, the, the easiest thing that I would want to see is a David Lynch Wizard of Oz. I love the Wizard of Oz, and mm-hmm. I would love to see what a modern day interpretation would look like um yeah yeah i mean especially with what we know about uh you know the social situation at the time uh you know climate change there's a thing uh, <laughs> <laughs> that i feel like we can fold in <laughs> um our relationship with uh, false uh, worlds, fantasy worlds that are created and, you know, social media. Like, I, I feel like there's a lot that uh, an old director's experience of the modern world would have to create a new uh, uh, a version of that. So, um, That's interesting. but oh. my, my pick would actually be, mm-hmm. that's the obvious one. My pick that I'd want to see 
is I'd want to see David Lynch do an update on It's a Wonderful Life. That's what I'd want to see. Oh, I love that idea so much. Oh, that's really good. <laughs> yeah, I I I want to see David Lynch explore like what does the world of a guardian angel look like? Like yeah. why is he why is Clarence doing all this shit? Like let's get more into Clarence and why he's doing what he's doing and like what is this darkness? What is really the darkness that George Bailey's dealing with? Yeah. You know, like oh, I want to see yeah. it. I love that so much. Oh my god. That's great. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to say hmm. Okay, I'm going to say All About Eve directed by um Catherine Brea. Whoa. Um, Who is that? Yeah. And- <laughs> so, um uh Brea, she's a, a French director and she did um like the movie uh fat girls she um did like the last mistress um but one that i really really loved i think she's got another film out maybe this year um but like the last film of hers that i saw was um back in 2013 yeah she does have one this year it's uh called last summer um but her last movie that i saw was 10 years ago um it's called abuse of weakness and it's i fucking love this film because it's a kind of autobiographical movie that she did after she had a stroke and she ended up having this like affair with this like you know very sort of strapping younger man that turned into this kind of like uh like financial abuse basically and so it's like the story of this like older woman who's been kind of like incapacitated who ends up like you know giving all of her money away to this young guy um I think she could do something really, really interesting and and dark, but also but she's also very funny. Yeah. Um but 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 absolutely brutal. And I think she could do something really interesting in all about Eve with that relationship of like an older actress and a younger one who wants to like usurp her. Like Ooh. I I think it could be it would I think it would be incredibly different from the original, but also retain some of like the kind of like acidic spirit of it in a way that would be really interesting. Oof, okay. This is a conversation that we have to revisit in a future mini because... Oh, hell yeah. I feel like there are a lot of uh, modern working directors that would have very interesting takes on uh, older films. And I I do love what a remake can do to uh, Mm -hmm. fully uh, kind of... What am I trying to say? I like what a remake can do to enhance the experience of watching the original. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that what's fun about these West Side stories is that n- like neither one cancels out the other. And each enhances the other because you know we can take ourselves out of the movie and recognize, oh, like the worlds that are creating both of these pieces of art, they're very different. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. that's the fun is in figuring out like what has changed. Um, that's why I love movies. Ugh. I know. Yeah. So we definitely need to do an episode about that. And I would love to do an episode about which modern directors we think should uh, adapt, which musicals. Ooh. Okay. <laughs> Let me close. Is an episode for another day. Another day. Listeners. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, thank you so much for tuning in again to 
everyone is hot. And Michael, what should the listeners do? Stay horny. Stay horny. Stay horny. Please stay horny. <laughs> <laughs>